For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. be going over to talk shoe and seeing if we can get into our back office as it were. Um, there's been a couple glitches lately with talk shoe. They've changed a couple things and it really frankly is not real easy. It's not real user friendly. <laughs> um, I'll get used to it, but anytime there's changes, you know, you have to teach a whole new dog, a dog, new tricks all over again. So that's kind of what what goes on. Um, let's see what we can do here. Bear with me a second. Okay, we've got a number of people already that have tuned in to talk to. Uh, we've got we've got John from Canada. We've got Brother Carl. Um, and we also hopefully will have we, we have had we have quite a few people that have joined us. Looks like we've got about 15 on on talk show right now. Um, I'm going to be looking for Brother Ed. Wow, good group out tonight. Group out tonight. Um, Doesn't look like Brother Ed has uh, joined us yet. When he comes on board, I will let you know. Um, Brother Carl, I've unmuted your mic. Can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. I can hear you loud and clear. Can you hear me? Yeah, hear you loud and clear as well. Uh, well, we have quite a group uh, that has already jumped on Facebook with us. <clears throat> We've got... Um, the um, the Ashley Kenny Kenny from Australia and Ashley says that um, Babylon the Great the anti gospel the greatest lie on earth he's read all of those books from Edward Henry so that's really that's really good to have a guest that is familiar enough to follow Edward Henry and also I want to thank uh, the other guests that have joined us, Eugene Smith, and the other people that are on are on um, Facebook Live. Um, I would think that Edward Henry will probably be showing up momentarily. Um, he knows that the broadcast is set for six o'clock, so uh, I have sent him a reminder, and hopefully he will. Uh, he's a very busy guy, and he gets a lot, he gets a lot of pro uh, broadcasts. 
uh, <laughs> I must say. So, you know, because of that reason, uh, we feel fortunate to be able to uh, have him. He comes on every Monday night, um, and so that's uh, pretty pretty normal. We have different topics that we talk about um, as well. Um, let's see. Just looking here. don't see that he's joined us yet. Um, if, if he doesn't join us shortly, uh, I will try to reach him and remind him that he is to be here. He usually is pretty good about showing up on time. Um, nobody's perfect, <laughs> but uh, he's he's pretty good about showing up. Uh, it's good to have Toronto with us tonight. Um, it's also good. Let's see. I'm just looking here. Uh, a lot of people have okay. just jumped on. Go ahead. Yeah, before we get started, uh, I just wanted to mention, I don't know how long I'll be with you guys tonight. I'm going to hang with you as long as I can. I'm off watch right now, but I have to be back up on watch at midnight. So, Okay. Okay, well, I appreciate you giving me the heads up. I'll try to um, open the uh, question and answer board uh before we get too far into the broadcast, that way, if you know, you can a ask any questions that you have or or make any comments that you might have um, earlier on. I'm glad you gave me the heads up on that. Uh, yes, sir. I'm. I met. I'll just tell everybody how I met. Come to meet Edward Henry. I was at a fellowship, home fellowship, several uh, ministers. And one of the people there um, brought up the issue of flat earth, biblical cosmology, and Ed Henry's uh, name came up in that. Welcome aboard, Mark Kennedy. And um, I, was, I was given a link to this book, uh, one of my favorite books that he wrote, The Anti-Gospel, The Perversion of Christ's Grace Gospel. I didn't know anything about any of his other works at that time. And anyway, uh, Walter Stickle did some research on Edward Henry and found these other books. And so that's how we came into, I met someone at a minister's conference who brought up, um, a guy there named Richard brought up Edward Henry's name and then sent us a link to this anti-gospel and <laughs> The rest is pretty much history. So, um, yeah, Mark, I don't know if uh, I don't see that you're on board yet. If you want to call in on board, you're welcome to do so, and I'll be prepared to unmute your mic for questions. I want to welcome Guy Green, who's also joined us tonight. Um, and... Uh, just good evening to everyone. So we're kind of just waiting. Let's see. Um, just looking here.
I'm going to email Edward and let him know we are live. We are a little early. He wasn't due to come on till six o'clock, but I'll kind of give him a heads up, and if he wants to jump jump on, he can. Um, that way, we can we can get a little bit more information out of him. We'll have a little bit more time. I always like to be ahead of schedule rather than behind the loop. Um, I don't like to be late. <laughs> I'd rather be early. Uh, let's see. I've been noticing that, I don't know if anybody else is experiencing this, the last two or three days I've noticed that the Internet has really slowed down. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that. I don't know. <laughs> you know, maybe it's something in my Wi-Fi network up here, but it's operating like at a snail's pace. And so that's not really, uh, you know, when you get used to zip, zip, zipping right along. Okay, Brother Ed is with us now. Uh, good evening, Brother Ed. How are you? This is Brother Mark. Okay, I I uh, I clicked the wrong. I clicked the wrong. You guys are real close. You're five six two, and Brother Ed's five four zero. Good I'm, evening, Brother Ed. Brother Brother hi, Ed, are, are you, you with us? Hi, how are you? Good. good. It's good good to have you aboard, and we have quite a quite a group uh, that have joined us tonight. This is a very fascinating subject that you're going to undertake. <laughs> And so I'm glad we we actually are live now recording. I'm glad we came on a little early. It gives us a little bit more time to to give you to fur, to thoroughly cover this subject. Um, one of the things I'd like to point out is that uh, I have been inundated uh, over the last five years with people who hold a different perspective than what Brother Ed is going to be presenting tonight. There are a lot of people that um, believe that the new, uh, newer versions of the Bible actually come from more authentic text than the um, text textus receptus, and they want they have these long arguments and so on. Um, but that's not an, even an argument for me because the yeah, we're going to get into actually the preservation tonight, the preservation aspect of that. But I have just been inundated. And by the way, a lot of people have, um, if you want to call it, defellowshipped me over this issue um, because I won't, I won't uphold the New International Version or the New King James Version or the New English Translation or the myriads of other ones that are out there, you know. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to, uh, you know, turn it over to Brother Ed and just kind of let him give a an introduction and get into the subject. So with that said, Brother Ed, feel free to uh, jump right in. Okay, will do. All right, let's... Uh... Let's begin with what I think is the major fly in the ointment um, 
that is the cause of all the issue. And that is this concept of inspiration. And people do not understand what it means to have scripture inspired. Okay? So, uh, if you read 2 Timothy 3.15, it says, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Now, this is, this is uh, the letter to Timothy. Okay? So we know that from a child, Timothy had known the holy scriptures. Okay? And that's important. That's an important aspect of this, okay? And, and I'll, I'll explain that in just a minute. It says, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then in uh, verse 16, it states, all scripture is given, present tense, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. What does that mean? Well, if you turn to Job 32, verse 8, chapter 32, verse 8, okay? And I was just reading, for those who have their Bibles open, 2 Timothy 3.15, okay? So if you go to Job 32, verse 8, it says, but there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. So, inspiration comes from God, and it gives understanding. So that is what is meant by inspiration. Inspiration gives man understanding. Inspiration flows from God to man to give him understanding. So let's go back to 2 Timothy to understand what it means in 2 Timothy. Okay. First of all, you'll notice that Paul makes the point that Timothy, from a child, has known the Holy Scriptures. Okay. So, from a child, he knew the Holy Scriptures. Now, did he have the original autographs? No. Okay. He had copies. So from a child, he had copies. He had known the Holy Scriptures from copies, from reproductions. So from this we know, from just this passage we know, that reproductions of the Holy Scriptures are inspired, okay? They can give inspiration because from a child, Timothy had known the Holy Scriptures. And they are able to make thee wise unto salvation. So he could be brought to salvation by the Holy Scriptures, which were copies. Okay? So, and it says, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then, then Paul makes the point, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, what does he mean by that? What he means is that all understanding in the Scripture is given by God. So it says here, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is, God gives understanding 
of the scripture, okay, through his inspiration. So inspiration does not just go to the scribes who wrote the original text, who wrote, who, who, as is often said, the original signatures, okay? It goes to copies, and it goes to also those people who read the Bible because it says it is present tense, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So it doesn't say it's past tense, okay? It talks about present tense. This is, is given right now to Timothy, is given by inspiration of God, okay? Not that it was given. It's not saying all Scripture was given by inspiration, okay, and that uh, the, the original signatures are the only inspired. See, what, what, now what happened, what happened is, uh, about 130 years ago, we have this higher criticism, which came out with Sinaiticus and Vaticanus and all these new uh, 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 transcripts, okay, corrupted transcripts. And we had a bunch of ignoramuses in the church, uh, many of whom were unsaved, and decided to use man's wisdom in order to help God out a little bit. And in order to address this issue of all these different, different manuscripts, what they do is they, they came up with this concept of, well, the original writings were inspired by God. We know that. The original writings were inspired by God. And all we've got to do is figure out what those original writings are. And we have them today. we just got to figure out what they are, all right? Now, we have all these different transcripts, and then you have this you have different camps now that broke up in different camps. You have the one camp with the Texas Receptus, which is the foundation for the King James, okay? And, when, and they say, okay, this is, the, this is the text, okay, that was the original. And people would then quibble about this phrase and that phrase and so on and so forth. So then they would say, well, the original signatures were inspired and that we take the position, and this is what uh, uh, Waite, this is Waite's posi uh, position in his group, they take the position um, that it's the original signatures and only the original signatures, the original writings of the apostles, the original writings uh, of the scribes that were inspired, and that the copies, that the copies are not inspired. Okay, you have to find out what the original writings are, because we have this whole mess of all these different transcripts. But if we got to the original writings, we would get to the inspiration, completely losing sight of the fact that God had promised, promised to preserve his word, okay? You read Matthew 24, 35, it says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away, okay? You read Psalms 12, 6 through 7, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times thou shalt keep them O lord thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever so he has promised to preserve his words but these new the 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 higher criticism people say ah we're not too clear about that and then the more conservatives say oh yes he's preserved them in the original autographs and so basically in both camps they open their bible and they don't have they can't say they have god's word they point to the King James, and they will say, well, we think this is the very best translation of the original Greek and Hebrew, okay? It's the best we have, but itself, it's not inspired. 
because it's only a translation, okay? You've got to get to the original Greek and Hebrew, and we've got to find out where the original autographs are, which we don't have. So basically, in both groups, in both groups, conservative and liberal, they've come down to an argument over original autographs that are inspired and that the original, that the English that we have here in the King James is not inspired, and so they don't even have a Bible. They don't have a Bible. They don't have the inspired Word of God today. So aside from the argument over which of the English Bibles is God's Word, in both camps, neither in both the conservative camp who say King James is the best, but it's not inspired, it's not the inspired Word of God. In the liberal camp that says, well, we're not sure King James is good, but we have these other ones that are older and they're better and the NIV is better, okay, uh, they don't have God's word either because they also take the position that a translation is not the inspired word of God. You've got to go back to the original autographs, okay? That, that is the fly in the ointment, okay? Because they have gotten away from this concept that is clearly laid out in 2 Timothy as as explained by Job, that in fact inspiration means understanding. That when we read God's word, we, we, the Christian, his elect, can understand what is written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that this English Bible is the inspired word of God. Yes, the translators were inspired to translate. They had the understanding of the Holy Spirit that God guided that process all the way through. And we do have his word. It is preserved. He has, as he promised, preserved it to today. And we have it in the King James Bible. That is God's word, his inspired word in the English language. And ministers who claim we don't have it, you have to get to the original autographs, uh, they, they, don't, they don't even qualify to be ministers because they can't even point to the inspired word of God. They don't have it. They wave the Bible around, okay, and make believe like they have it, but they really don't. They don't, and, and, and if you ask them, they'll say, no, 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 you've got to go back to the original autographs. See, that's the problem we've run into. Wow, wow. Well, I'll tell you what, <clears throat> I promise a couple of gentlemen uh, that have some questions and comments uh, regarding this subject, I promise to open their mics. So what I'm going to do is everybody that's on talk to you, uh, I'm going to actually unmute your mic. So I've unmuted uh, Toronto, I've unmuted Paul um, Roberts, and I've unmuted um, Mark Kennedy, and I believe Walt Stickle may be with us. So to, uh, who wants to start out with uh, responding, making any comments, and have any questions for Ed? Okay, Brother Ed, it sure is good to have you on here again tonight, and it sure is good to hear you teach. Uh, um, Thank you. I just, I, I just have a couple of questions for you, and then I'm going to hang up and listen. Um, number, The first question I have, you've already touched on it, but I'm going to ask it anyway again, is how can we or any man preach the Word of God faithfully to sinners if we believe that the Word we have is fallible? That God hasn't preserved his word. Um, and the second one is, can you address the allegations that we as King James only is engaged in circular reasoning to defend our position? Okay. All right. Let's, let's go. I'll, let, me ask, let me answer the first question, and then we'll get to the other. Okay. First of all, 
the to understand that the King James is God's word in the English language takes revelation from God. Amen. So so the what what people are taking out of the equation here is the very inspiration of the Holy Spirit that is speak, spoken of in the Bible. So my knowledge that the King James is God's word in the English language is not from scholarship. It's by revelation. Amen. It's by revelation of the Holy Spirit. A person who is saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ has the function of the Holy Spirit. And so to argue scholastics with uh, many of these people, where they argue over different, you know, manuscripts. Why? Okay, you use deductive reasoning. They're, they're engaging in inductive reasoning. They start with these thousands of manuscripts, and they try to they try to argue upwards. No, you start with God's word, and you argue downward. Okay, you say, okay, are those are those part of the God? Uh, you know, is that a manuscript? that it comports with God's word found in the King James Bible. You deduce from the King James. So basically, you look at it this way. If you have a crossword puzzle, you look at the box top, and that's the crossword puzzle puzzle all put together, okay? You open the box, and all the pieces are scrambled. Well, you don't, in order to understand what the picture looks like, you, you look at the box top. That's what we have the box top. We have the King James Bible. That's God's word in the English language. Okay, why would we want to open it up and look at all the pieces in there and try to, I mean, you can try to put them together. Some people enjoy doing that. But to understand what the picture is, you look at the box top. We've got the box top. Why would we want to go to all the pieces and scrounge around, okay, in the Greek, in the Hebrew, when God has put it together for us in the English language? And it's by revelation that I understand that's God's word. Amen. And your other question, which goes to um, how can we preach if we don't know, I I don't think you can. I mean, how can you (laughs) – I mean, that's – talk about – I mean, that's really building a house on sand. How can you you say, hey, um, you – in order to be saved, you must believe in Jesus. Jesus is the Word who became flesh. His Word is contained in the Bible, but we don't know if that's really His Word. What? So you can't <laughs> point to me? I mean, it, 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 it's really a, a corrupt, it's a corrupt, they've created a corrupt gospel. A, a uh, They've undermined the gospel, basically, by taking this position that only the original autographs are inspired. See? Yes, sir. Yeah, Brother Mark, Brother Mark you had uh, some, a comment and some questions. Uh, I'll turn it over to Brother Mark Kennedy. Oh, sure. How are you, Brother Ed? God bless you. I'm doing well. Thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. I may be jumping ahead chronologically, but I was wondering... Uh, when did the Bible Society start, and what role did they play, if any, in all? Um, I don't. I, I, I am not a um, an expert on the history of the Bible societies, but I will tell you uh, that the many of these groups, Gideon's in particular. Okay, take one example. Um, they have been corrupted 
And they are coming out with all different versions. And the first thing I do when I go to a hotel room is check what version of the Gideon's Bible they have in there. And, and it seems they have a preference for the New King James lately. And the New King James is corrupt. Okay? Right. It is a corrupted Bible. So um, they, uh, they've gotten away from the King James. Oh. And a lot of the Bible societies have. Oh, I see. They've been told also, by liberals. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, we also, uh, I think Toronto may have had a question. Toronto, uh, did you have a comment or a question? Sure. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Uh-huh. Good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's more of a comment. Uh, we all know that um, you know a lot of these uh, modern Bibles started in 1881 uh, because of the Revision Committee of 1881 with Westcott and Hort, and everything since then has been uh, you know watered down versions like that. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, going back traditionally, there's two types of Bibles that we know today: the Catholic Bibles and the Protestant Bibles. And there's there's two different lines, and the Protestant Bibles come from the Texas Receptus and the Masoretic text, whereas the Catholic Bibles um, come from the, uh, and of course the Texas Receptus is from Antioch of Syria, uh, where the apostles were first called Christians. I believe it was when the apostles were first called Christians, and uh, that's the Texas Receptus, whereas the, the Catholic Bibles go back all the way to Alexandria of Egypt, which is normally considered a place of uh, non-spirituality. And uh, basically, you have five uh, manuscripts that don't match each other on very much, whereas the Texas Receptus, you have 5,000 or over 5,000 manuscripts that match each other practically to a T. So, you know, you have to weigh that when you uh, decide to use Alexandria of Egypt as, an, as a source of authenticity when there's only five manuscripts that don't agree, whereas you have 5,000 on the Texas Receptus in Antioch of Syria, which agree pretty much uh, on, on everything. So, you know, um, we know that we have the inspired word of God because the King James is translated word for word. Uh, we know that the italics were um, added by inspiration to complete the meaning in English, and that's fine. Uh, but we know that the King James got uh, translated uh, word for word from the uh, both the the, uh, the Greek Texas Receptus and the Hebrew uh, Aramaic uh, Masoretic text. So there we have it, like two uh, different lines, uh, one from an authentic line and one from an extremely corrupt line. Uh, and I, I can't believe why people would even bother with um, you know with the um, with the corrupt uh, versions. I know why they're there, but uh, you know, uh, go go with the genuine item, the genuine article. That's about it. Well, thank you, Toronto. Now, we also have uh, 562 with us. I think that might be Walt. Do you have a question or comment, Walt? Okay. Um, well, I'm going to uh, just ask you. I have a question because I get it a lot uh, from a lot of people. Uh, they say to me, Larry, you you say that the King James Version is infallible and is inspired. Uh, how can you prove that the any of these other versions, the New International Version or the New King James Version, 
is not infallible or inspired? What would your answer be to that? Um, I think you've kind of already answered it, but maybe you could just answer it direct as if you were answering them for me. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's go through and talk about that. Um, we can go through the history of it, but let's talk about the NIV, for instance. The NIV has it. It is significantly different from the King James. First of all, I'm, I'm as a lawyer. Let me explain to you what's going on with these new Bible versions. Okay, like New King James, King James 21, all these things. They always try to market on King James, but you have the NIV as well. Okay, understand this: that it is required for them to make substantial changes in what is in the text of the King James in order to get a copyright. Right. See, people don't understand that concept. See, if they came out with a Bible that matched very closely the King James, they could not get a copyright. In order to have a copyright, they have to say this is a new creation. This is an original work from men, see, and most people don't understand that concept. So they think that they're trying to be more faithful. Well, they're not. Because if they're going to be faithful, then they would use the um, formal equivalence, the method used in translation by the King James uh, translators. And if they did that, even with the corrupt transcripts, they could not have it be substantially different. So what they use is a translation method called dynamic equivalence. And so what they do is they take thought for thought rather than word for word. So if there's an adjective, let's say in Greek, and they want to translate it into English, all right, in the King James, it's translated as an adjective. If there's a noun, it's translated as a noun. If there's a verb, it's translated as a verb. Well, take the NIV, for example. They will take an entire sentence or several. They'll take the idea that's expressed and then restate that idea without regard to the actual Greek words that are used. Not without total regard, but they will give the sense, the flavor, if you will. It's more, it's more accurate to call them an interpretation rather than a translation, okay? Uh. And so ah. <laughs> their method, and they have to do this, by the way. They must. They are, they are hamstrung by copyright laws to doing this because right. in order to get a copyright, they have to maintain that it's a substantially different text from the King James. Of course, the King James uh, is, the, is the basis uh, that, from which they are trying to distinguish themselves, so they must make changes. So in doing that, for example, they have come up with more than 6,653 English word changes in the New International Version, okay? Wow. And those changes, those changes are required. They're required, okay? Uh, in, the, uh, King, in the New King James, for example, there are 2,000 word changes. They require those word changes, okay? Now, the NIV, by virtue of their dynamic equivalence, they have 64,098 fewer words 
in the NIV than you do in the AV. That's 10% less text than King James. So in their translation, using dynamic equivalent, now not, not only that, they start with corrupt transcripts from Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, which I don't know if we have time to even get into, uh, but then when they start with that, and then by virtue of what they do, they, uh, they have uh, 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 10%, that's like 170 on a 1,700-page uh, ordinary-sized Bible, they have 170 fewer pages. Okay. And so uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Well, guess what? The NIV does not have every word of God. It Amen. does not. Okay. And there is a curse for tampering with God's word. Okay. If you, if you read the book of Revelations, okay, mm-hmm. uh, 22, 18, and 19, it states, yes. if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Okay, So we we have uh, a very real curse against those who would tamper with God's word. Now, just as an example of some of the things that the NIV has done. For example, and if people have an NIV, they can, they, can, they can read along with me, all right? So how about this? Matthew, just they can turn to Matthew. And by the way, you'll notice that the NIV, the way it's written, it's paragraph style. It's not verse by verse. The King James is laid out verse by verse, see? Mm-hmm. It's not yep. that way uh, in, the, in the NIV. In the NIV, they use paragraph style. Why? Well, because they have removed whole passages. And in order to conceal that, then they have to hide the fact that there are passages missing. So, for example, if you turn to Matthew 17, 21, chapter 17, verse 21, uh, they, um, they completely remove that verse. It's gone. So if you're reading in Matthew and you get to to verse 20, it jumps to 22. 1721 is gone. Um, and what does that verse say? How be it this kind goeth out not but prayer, but by prayer and fasting. Talk about talking about devil possession. Okay. Uh, Matthew 18, 11. Chapter 18, verse 11, that's completely removed. Okay. And what what is that that passage? For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Completely gone. Okay. Uh, how about uh, Matthew 23, 14, completely missing? And what is that? That's, of course, the curse on the scribes and the Pharisees. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore, ye shall receive the greater damnation, for the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Isn't that mm-hmm. interesting? Go on. Wow. Uh, Mark 7, 16, chapter 7, verse 16. Mark chapter 9, uh, verse 44. So, and there are, uh, uh, Mark um, chapter 16, 9 through 20, all 12 verses, okay? And I believe they put them in brackets. I think they bracket them with a, with a, uh, with an, a footnote saying that the most reliable early manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have 
Mark 9 through 20, okay? Wow. So they, they bracket it and basically say, oh, uh, don't bother with these because we, we don't think this is part of God's word. But they, they still leave it in. They, they, it's there, okay? They're there, but they, they call into question the, the authenticity, okay? First um, John 5, 7, okay, completely gone. And what they do, by the way, is uh, in the NIV, they, they fiddle around with the verse numbers. So they put some verse, they try to hide the fact they took that out. So if you, if you go to First uh, John 5, 7, and you compare that to the King James, you'll see what they've done. They, 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 they pulled a little finagling. They borrowed some verses so, that, so you can't tell that they took it out. See? Um, mm-hmm. no, these guys, are, they're scoundrels. They're scoundrels. Mm-hmm. And, also, uh, they're, they're, they're very they I wanted to just share one thing. Uh, this has happened now on two different, well, actually three different occasions with people that are in the Sovereign Grace uh, Church camp. I had one minister a number of months ago. Uh, I was listening to one of his messages, and he his message was on the value of the King James Version of the Bible. Sounds mm. like a pretty good title, the value of the King James Version of the Bible. But as he got into the message, I discovered that he wasn't, he wasn't reinforcing the value of the King James Version of the Bible. He was actually attacking the King James Version of the Bible. He made statements in his message from his pulpit. We all know... And any time somebody makes a statement like that, look out, we all know. But he mm-hmm. said, we all, we all know that we cannot, we cannot uh, consider the King James Version of the Bible to be infallible. We all know that because, here's, here was his justification, because of the translators. We know we all know that the translators were not inspired. So we have, kind of like Brother Ed was saying regarding the fundamentalists, we have, our faith has to rest in the original manuscripts alone. And now I've heard, I've heard three different sovereign grace people set forth that presupposition. I also had a, a, um, a minister in the Sovereign Grace who has a doctor, a doctor's degree in Hebrew and a doctor's degree in Greek, state that you can better understand the Word of God by understanding the original manuscripts. You can understand it better than just relying on the King James Version. So it's very deceptive. Uh, mm-hmm. They're saying they are saying they are upholding the King James Version but at the same time, very duplicitous and then attacking it. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the method used by uh, uh, Dr. Waite, D.A. Waite, who uh, uh, he was the big Greek scholar. That all, the, all the fundamentalists broke out to defend the King James. Well, he really was undermining the authority of the King James. He was basically saying, well, this is the best we can do. This is really the most authoritative. But he, but he said, it's not the inspired word of God. It's, a, it's the best translation we have. And the, the Texas Receptus is the best we have of the original autographs, see. 
Only the original autographs were inspired. You know, I read that in the last two weeks, and we're going to open up the mics again. But yes, yes, Walt, go ahead. Larry? Yes, we can hear you. Hello, Larry. Uh, yeah, I yes, just wanted we... to add quick. It's nice to hear, hear Ed on here, yeah. Oh, anyway, hi. I this... just wanted to add uh, because... This... Yeah, this is Mike. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, buddy, but I... Uh, this was always, I, Ed, I always made the excuse for myself that I couldn't understand the these and thous. But, but the reason you should discount the NIV just as soon as you come upon it is, guess who was in charge of that committee was Cardinal Carlo Montini, a flaming, blatant homosexual and a Roman Catholic Jesuit cardinal. Anyway, he died back in 2012. I just wanted you to add that to you. I didn't know... If you are aware of that because that to me would cause any Christian to just step away from it, you know, and that's all I'll yes. say. I, anyway, I just yes, Martini was it. involved in that, and yeah, he was the head of that's, the committee. Anyway, okay, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's it's, it's interesting when you look at, um, you know, you talk about doctrinal issues. Uh, all you have to do is turn to Isaiah chapter 14, uh, verses 12 to 15. And if you turn it, if anybody has an NIV, you turn to the NIV and you look at it, you will see that it states, uh, and we're looking at Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star. Okay. Now, the King James says, how thou hast fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. Son mm-hmm. of the morning, okay, and it talks about him being cut down and brought down to hell, okay, and the NIV, however, has the morning star. It says, oh, morning star, son of the dawn. Well, who's the morning star? Turn to Revelation 22, 16, and right. you will see that Jesus Christ is the morning star. Amen. I am the bright and morning star. And so what they've done is they have, they have blasphemed Jesus Christ by taking a passage which is supposed to talk about the destruction of Lucifer and turned it into the destruction of Jesus Christ. Oh, that's amazing. Well, you know, we, we also uh, hear oftentimes that people like Brother but like uh, our last guest said, Mike, you know, he said, you know, people don't want to, they say, well, I don't understand the these and the thous. And I, my sister-in-law even told me, you know, the reason I don't like the, the authorized King James Version of the Bible is she said, that's old school. I'm into the new school, whatever that means. In other words, people are looking for something new. Now, I think we also have a question possibly from Toronto again or a comment. Did you have another uh, question or comment, uh, John? It's more of a comment. Like, uh, I was wondering if I can have a couple of minutes to describe the uh, the source and the validity of the NIV and the NKJV, the New King James Version. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, when I was talking about the two lines, you know, the Protestant line and the Catholic line of Bibles from uh, the good, the good uh, um, texts and the bad texts, the good being the Textus Receptus 
and the bad being the um, Alexandrian manuscripts, of which, by the way, the Sinaiticus and the uh, Vaticanus are. Uh, what happened in 1881 with the New Age Bibles that started in 1881, that Bible was called the Revised Version or the uh, English Revised Version. It had two different names. And what happened in 1881 is that Westcott and Hort, they weren't the leaders of the committee, but they influenced the committee so much that the, the head of the committee ended up quitting and uh, everything was you know, taken over by Westcott and Hort. And uh, 20 years before, they had been working, uh, Westcott and Hort, for 20 years before on a, um, on a corrupt uh, Greek manuscript. They claimed that these New Age Bibles since 1881 are from the original Greek, but they're not. Uh, Westcott and Hort had been corrupting, uh, had been uh, writing um, a corrupt Greek manuscript, I guess based on what? Based on the Sinaiticus, the Vaticanus, and the whole um, gamut of the uh, Alexandrian corrupted manuscripts. So right, the Bibles that we have today from 1881, all of them, they're from the Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, Alexandrian manuscripts uh, line of corrupt Bibles. So when they claim that you have to go back to the original Greek, they're claiming that you have to go back, in fact, to the Sinaiticus Vaticanus, the whole family of corrupt Alexandrian manuscripts, instead of the real thing, which is the Textus Receptus and the Masoretic Text. And another thing I'd like to say about the NIV is that it came out in 1978, and people started liking, liking it. And it's the only Bible that actually, in recent times, has uh, surpassed uh, the King James Version Bible in uh, sales. But the only problem is, is that uh, the 1978 Bible that uh, people started to love, even though it was corrupt, the NIV, it's no, it's no longer in publication. Guess what? You know, so now what do they do? You know, they have a they have a Bible that they like that's no longer in publication. So that now they have to do even more versions with more changes because they can't get a copyright of the same uh, of the same words. You know, and God God's word is unchanging. Uh, and of right. course, I said they're all they're all all the New Age Bibles are from the um, the corrupted manuscripts of Egypt, but the instead of Antioch of Syria, uh, the only one of those Bibles that claims to have um, you know basis on the um, on the uh, Textus Receptus is the New King James uh, Bible, which is which is a bunch of garbage from uh, Thomas Nelson Publishing, but uh, mm. the New King James. The New King James Bible, uh, claiming to be the only one of those uh, modern Bible versions to go back to the uh, Textus Receptus, um, you know, they're they're kind of telling you a half truth because most of that stuff is from the is from the Alexandrian manuscripts, Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, etc. And even if they even if they claim, and, and of course, you know, and that's not even uh, and that's the the um, the corrupted one. But even if they're saying that they're uh, in part, uh, translating from the Textus Receptus, um, it, it's kind of, it's kind of like a watered down version of the Textus Receptus. You know, things like instead of saying the covenant in uh, Daniel nine nine twenty four to twenty seven, they say a covenant. You know, there's only one covenant, the covenant, but they say a covenant. They're really um, kind of giving you a bunch of uh, half truths. You know, uh, they're. In part, they might translate a little bit from the Texas Receptus, but most of it is from the corrupted, um, from the corrupted uh, Alexandrian uh, manuscripts. Uh, so basically, um, 
you know, it claims inspiration, but it's it's really not inspired the New King James Version. And uh, we have yet to see what people are going to replace the NIV with now that uh, it's out of publication. So that's about it for now. Wow. No, I appreciate appreciate that. Listen, I had a um, our guest from Australia who's not on TalkShoe, but he's on Facebook, and he has really enjoyed reading uh, the anti-gospel and several of uh, of Ed's books. Uh, he also has read The Greatest Lie on Earth, <clears throat> and he makes a point. He he basically, I and Ashley Kenny are in total agreement. The, to me. The real issue is not these other corrupted texts, uh, which they are. We know that the Alexandrian texts, and we know that the, you know, I mean, if something is found in a in a, in a waste can and taken from Vatican somewhere, uh, I'm not interested in it. But but Ashley makes a really good point, and I've made it, is really what is happening is. All those people who are not satisfied with the authorized King James Version of the Bible, they are actually calling God a liar because they are saying that God is not able to preserve his word. That's See, that to me is the issue uh, because that was, that was the crux of my faith, okay, the faith of Christ that I was given. When I had a, a point of crisis in my own spiritual life, it was over this issue of whether God was a, a liar or men were liars. And it all was, by the way, it was around the ninth chapter of Romans. And I've shared this before, but the reason I'm using this as a point, I read through the ninth chapter of Romans. I had never been taught. I'd never heard an exposition of the ninth chapter of Romans before. And when it got to the point, that it says that, you know, that uh, Rebecca had two, had twins in her womb, and before they were even born, not having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Um, I remember telling my wife, you know what? That is totally in conflict with everything that I've been taught. And... No, no. Everybody tries to explain that away and say it doesn't say that. It means something different. You have to go back to the original Greek and all of this. I said, you know what? I'm at a point in my my walk. I either have to accept that what it says, or I might as well just throw the whole Bible in the trash. Amen. I cannot just part. I just can't part and parcel out the Bible. And that's what that's what's at stake here, and this is what Ashley is saying. The issue is when people start putting questions in other people's minds, and they have questions in their own mind about mm -hmm. the authenticity about the authenticity of a Bible that's been here in the English-speaking world for over 400 years, and they start saying that there are better translations out there, and there were mistakes made by the translators. That, to me, is the issue, that God is not able to do what he said he would do, which is preserve his word. That is, to me, the crux of the matter. So I hats off to Ashley Kenny. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Uh, I'll, I'll put it back now to, does anyone else have any questions before we turn it back to Ed? Yes, please. Uh, it's John again. Okay, go ahead. Um, can you hear me? Okay. 
I uh, just wanted to make a comment. You know how they say that the um, that these modern Bibles come from older texts? Yes. What happens is what happens is this: the older texts are really not the older text because the Textus Receptus can be traced back to the uh, first century, whereas the Alexandrian Sinaiticus Vaticanus can only be traced back to the to the 300s or the 400s. So what they claim to be the older, because they have some original autographs, and of course you have it because they're not worn out, they're not used, nobody wants to read them. Of course, they're not gonna be, uh, they're, they're gonna be the originals uh, because they haven't been used, they're preserved. But those um, are actually younger. They're traced back to the 300s and the 400s, whereas the Textus Receptus, of which we have copies because we've greatly worn them out, we have to make keep making copies. The Textus Receptus goes back to the first century so when they take out Mark 16:9 and the rest of Mark, uh, they're basing themselves on the uh, Alexandrian corrupt ones instead of the uh, Textus Receptus, which has the whole uh, passages of Mark, including Mark 16:9 to the end. Uh, the reason they're taking out Mark 16:9 Mark is that it says Jesus was risen. This is about that Sunday morning when Jesus was about to be offered as the first fruits of the harvest, or in other words, the first heir of eternal life. Uh, and then us at the second coming. So when, when they take out Mark 16:9, they're taking out the truth that Jesus was already risen on that same, uh, Sunday morning. It's almost like saying this, let's say today was the uh, day that uh, Mar Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. In the Bible, it says Jesus was risen, was risen. Uh, if, if it happened today, that event, if Mary Magdalene was at the tomb today, you would say Jesus is risen, you know? That was their present. Yeah. Our past is their present. Jesus is risen, you know. Jesus was yeah. risen when Mary Magdalene was there. Like not at the, t you know, he didn't rise at the time Mary Magdalene got there. So, you know, Jesus was um, was risen on uh, Saturday evening. You know, he um, he was in the tomb from Wednesday evening to Saturday evening, a perfect three days and three nights entombed in the heart of the earth. So, uh, th th I mean, there's so many more things that can be said. But I think we've shed quite a bit of light on the uh, nakedness of their um, of their exploitation of uh, what's really the uh, old uh, manuscript and the and the true manuscript, which is the Texas Receptus. Yes. Uh, 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 let's see. Mike from Oregon. I think you had another comment, did you not? Oh, maybe maybe that was. That, is that you, Carl? Somebody's waving at me. I can't. <laughs> somebody's trying to talk. Breaking up. I'm sorry. Somebody's breaking up. Uh, so I I can't hear you. Five two six. Five two six area code. I see you're trying to say something, but it's not coming through. Um. Can Can everyone else hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Good. One other question that I had uh, for Brother uh, Ed, and it's coming from other people on Facebook, have have actually brought this to the fore as well. Um, the the real issue here is validation. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, we heard a message by a gentleman who was using the authorized King James Version of the Bible to prove biblical cosmology. 
But in the middle of his talking about biblical cosmology and alluding to it, and also he was talking about other things like uh, Nicolaitans and, and different things, in the middle of it, he put questions in everybody's minds, maybe not everybody's minds, but in a lot of people's minds, about whether he actually even believed what he was using to validate what he was setting forth. And this kind of goes back to what Ed was saying earlier. If someone said, I've heard, how many of us have heard this? I believe the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And you know, in, a fa in fact, there's no way they do because most of the people that I've run into that make that statement are Arminians. They don't believe in election and predestination. They don't believe in, in uh, the final perseverance of the saints. They don't believe in total depravity. They don't believe in the doctrine of original sin. They certainly don't believe in particular redemption. But yet they'll say, I believe the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, the reason that it's so important when these ministers from these cemeteries get up and make their proclamations about the Bible, and then they're so duplicitous, right? In, on one side, they say one thing, and then they turn right around and say, however, you know, we need to have uh, the original text. We need to go back. We need to have, we need to respect scholars uh, with the, now, Brother Ed made a, a good point, because I hear this all the time, and I want Ed to touch on this, because he sent me some information on this and was really good. How many times do we hear people say, well, Strong's Concordance number 263841 says this word means that? Uh, why, don't you just why don't you just touch, Ed, a little bit on Strong's Concordance and the problems with trying to use that as a validation? Yeah, Strong, uh, he was a heathen. He was a heathen. He was, uh, he was on the, um, the American committee that worked on the uh, revised version. Okay. And so his definitions um, come from Greek uh, heathenism. So that's his background. And so he has the heathen culture uh, throughout his dictionary. Now, it's fine to use Strong's as a concordance, but I would not rely on his definitions. Uh, his definitions are very much corrupt. And uh, I, I don't have examples. I didn't anticipate the, the, the question on Strong, so I don't have examples of that. But there are, there are many instances where uh, he's watered down the, the true meaning of, of the words. See, the King James has a built-in dictionary. You don't need a Greek or a Hebrew dictionary. God masterfully wrote that Bible so that you can understand what is said in that Bible through parallelism. He parallels one passage with another. And if you read carefully, you will come to understand what he means. For example, um, he, he makes the, uh, the statement that you should love one another. Well, what does that mean? What does the word love mean? Well, then he explains what he means. That is, you treat another person the way you would want to be treated. 
basically, love is an action. It's what you do towards somebody. It's how you act towards them. And then he gives examples. So he explains the concept of love. And, and instead of this idea people have of this romantic love, which is an infatuation, a, a warm, feel, fuzzy feeling for somebody that Hollywood promotes, okay, love is not that. You're supposed to love your enemies. You know, that does, God doesn't say you should have a warm, fuzzy feeling towards your enemies. No. You, you treat them the way you would want to be treated, even though they are your enemies. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like it. You be obedient to Christ. See? And, and we, got uh, a, we got a comment from Andrew Brown from Wichita. He's on Facebook. And he says that he knew uh, D.A. Waite for years. And he said that D.A. Waite used the Cambridge 1769 text and he called his Bible the defined King James Bible. And so it was very deceitful to people because what he was trying to do is he was using one text to define another. Now, Ivor Thomas from the United Kingdom says that the Greek interlinear, Westcott and Hort, um, is the same uh, text that the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses use. Okay, now I haven't got into all of that, but I'm sure that Ivor knows he's done a lot of uh, study in this area. But back to my my question about, because it seems like I've noticed this, and maybe you, you can address this too for us, Ed. And by the way, I want everybody to know on TalkShoe that um, your, mic, your mics are unmuted. Um, I did mute... Uh, Canada's mic because we were getting a lot of background noise on that. But if you have any other comments, Canada, just wave at me and I'll open up your mic. Uh, but we have Carl and we also have Mark and we also have Mike. So you guys, all your mics are unmuted if you have any comments or questions. Uh, but one of the things I've noticed is when you bring up the issue, because tonight our topic is God's preservation of the King James Version of the Bible. We've talked about all these other versions. The question is, uh, by, by God and Christ both, by their own definitions, they have, pres- they have stated in the Old Testament and the New Testament that they have preserved his word. Now, <laughs> I want to go back to this. The last 400 plus years, Prior to all these newfangled versions coming on the scene in translations, that was the principal Bible that we had. And many, many preachers preached from the pulpit out of the King James, authorized King James Version of the Bible. Many people have come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ from being preached out of that Bible. Many people have had life-changing experiences out of reading and studying that Bible. So the question is, you know, <laughs> how do all these people that put questions and say that, now my question is, could these people that use this Bible, could they have had a better salvation experience out of another translation? Could they have been better enlightened through the Holy Spirit from a corrupted version of the Bible? Could they have been more uh, could they have more excelled in their Christian life by not have reading, by have not uh, be, having read the King James Version of the Bible? 
I mean, I think the, the answer is pretty obvious. I mean, what, what these people are doing is they're putting questions on all these people who have stood by and stood up and benefited from the authorized King James Version of the Bible. Am I overstating my case, Ed? No, no, I, 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 that's a very good point. And um, I, I, I'm going to segue into that with these new versions make the point that they, they're more readable. Okay. Well, the, this is not any ordinary book. This is the Holy Bible. Right. And it takes, it takes the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to understand what's being said. It is a legal document. It is the Old and New Testament of God Almighty. It is a legal document with precise language. Okay, and so that's why people talk about the these and thous. Well, understand this, that that is precision. So when you see the word thee, all right, that's the singular object, thou, the singular subject. Um, mm -hmm. And people did not speak in that formal of English back in the 1600s. People make the comment that they do. Well, I can prove to you that that's not the case. All you got to do is read the dedicatory to the King James, and you will not read a single thou, thee, or ye anywhere in there. I'll give you an example. Go to Psalms 145, uh, chapter 145.5, and it says, um, I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and thy wondrous works. Okay, so we have thy majesty, all right? And how would we say it? We would say, your majesty, right? Well, guess what they say in the dedicatory? Repeatedly, in, in addressing King James, they call him your majesty. They don't say thy majesty. They say your majesty, see? And repeatedly through there, they refer to the, the king, and they, call, they say you, okay, when they should say thee. They say your when they should say thine, if this was the way they spoke back then, okay? And you, you read throughout the dedicatory, and you see your and you and, and, and so forth in place of the more precise language. Well, that more precise language is there, so when you're reading the Bible, you can understand. Well, who was Jesus talking to? So if he says ye, you know he's talking to a group of people, see? So that's, that's what you're dealing with here. This is precise language. This is language, this is language of precision. I once had a, a discussion with, uh, with a, a, a guy who I, I work with, and he, he used to be a pastor. And uh, he now, by the way, is, is on board with King James. Back then, he was, uh, he, he was fascinated by the, by the new uh, versions. He, the NI, NASB, I think, was his version of choice. And he said, well... They talk about them picking corn in the field. Well, they didn't discover corn, okay, until they came here to uh, the to, to the uh, Americas, and the and then the Indians uh, introduced corn. They didn't have corn in Europe. Well, he didn't understand, and I had to explain to him that the word corn is a word used to describe the grain that is common in that area, and we call what we call corn here in the United States is the grain, the maize, that is common in the Americas, okay? We just call it corn. That's a generic term. 
And so the corn that they were picking at that time was probably wheat, see? So it's out of ignorance that a lot of people make these, uh, these arguments. Um, and, you know, we, we, we had to address the issue of, you know, objecting to the, to the use of the word Easter in, uh, uh, in, the book of, uh, in the book of Acts, okay? Well, that's just pure ignorance. Uh, that's all there is to it. And, and uh, I should probably get into that now that I mention it. Well, before you do, I had a comment by Andrew Brown from Wichita, Kansas. He says that, and I'm sure he has some background in research on this, he says that Sinaiticus uh, and the Vaticanus is considered to be one of those Bibles produced by Eusebius, it is, and the purpose of it is for ecumenism, uh, which was origins corrupted text. He says that the purpose for these different, you know, seminaries and universities and institutions of higher learning are really to prepare people's minds for ecumenism and eventually the Antichrist to confuse the masses, just like you were talking about the morning star compared to Lucifer. And he says there is a there is a goal behind watering down the Bible and changing the meanings and and it's an attack on doctrine. What what is your response to that? Oh, I think that's absolutely correct, absolutely correct. And 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 in fact, uh, you know, you speak about Sinaiticus. Sinaiticus, uh, many people think is an ancient text. It really is not. Uh, Constantine uh, Tischendorf, uh, he's the one who brought that to public notice. And he's, you know, he claimed he found it in a waste paper basket in, on uh, uh, the monastery of Mount Sinai, okay, St. Catherine's. Well, <laughs> turns out that there's another gentleman named Constantine also, Simonides. And Simonides was a renowned Greek scholar. And what Simonides did when Tischendorf came out with Sinaiticus is he said, that's not an ancient manuscript. And I know it's not a major manuscript, manuscript because I wrote it myself. The <laughs> guy who wrote it came out and said, I wrote it myself. And he challenged this Tischendorf to a debate because Tischendorf was now embarrassed. And he said, you show up with that manuscript, and I'll show you where my personal markings are on that manuscript, page by page, that only I would know of, only the person who actually wrote it would know of. Tischendorf agreed to the debate, but never showed up and never brought the manuscript. Okay. Wow. And there was a lot of verification. There's much verification for what Simonides has said with regard to that, uh, that manuscript. So it's a complete fraud. It's a, it's, it's a, it, it was done in the, um, uh, in the 1800s. Okay. That was, oh. that was actually prepared in the 1800s, and it was pawned off as an ancient manuscript from 300 AD when in fact it's nothing of the sort. Wow. Well, listen, we're at the end of the hour, but I do want you to cover the thing on Easter because we get that a lot. And I, I saw what, how you handled that in your response and I thought it was excellent. And so well, I'm gonna let you go into that, cover that, and then many make any final comments on this and then we'll open the mics up and then we're gonna out. I like to try to stay within an hour because when I tell people it's going to be an hour broadcast, I don't like it to be end up being two hours. So, so I uh, think you're absolutely back. right. You should definitely do that. Yep, that's the way to do it. All right, let me get yeah. into this, uh, this idea of Easter in Acts 12, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, where it mentions that 
um, they were to um, uh, to keep the um, peer uh, in prison uh, until after Easter. Okay, now uh, understand this. They say, "Well, that's a that's a pagan holiday," and it is. It's a pagan holiday, no question about it. Easter is a pagan holiday, and they say the original Greek word is Pasha, and it should be translated Passover. Okay. And so Pasha means Passover, therefore the King James got it wrong by saying Easter, all right? They're, they're bringing in their cultural bias by saying Easter. Well, in fact, they're bringing forth their cultural brilliance by translating it Easter because Herod was a heathen, okay? And he intended to keep uh, Peter until after Easter. How do I know that? Well, if you read the passage, uh, when he had uh, Peter, um, he was in custody, all right, during the, the days of unleavened bread, okay? Now, what are the days of un- unleavened bread? Well, the days of unleavened bread are the, if you, if you look at Passover, okay, Passover is the 14th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar. Passover is immediately followed by seven days of unleavened bread. Okay, now because Passover is memorialized with unleavened bread, it and the seven days that follow it are known as, are both referred to as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So Peter was in custody during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which means it was after Passover. So it couldn't mean that Herod intended to keep him in, 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 in prison until after Passover, because Passover had already taken place a few days earlier. It has to mean Easter, which is after Passover, the heathen holiday celebrated by Herod. That's what he intended, and that's what is meant by that passage. The King James is absolutely correct, and every single one of these other corrupt uh, uh, Bibles, like the New King James, which translates as Passover, is wrong. Pasha means all Easter and Passover. It can be translated both ways. It's not... The, 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 um, uh, the King James translators understood their languages and they understood how to translate and, 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 and why that should be Easter and not Passover. In fact, I personally, by the way, when D.A. Waite was alive, I personally called him on the phone and discussed this with him. And on that point, he was correct, Okay. And so he, he, he also made the point that Pasha can be translated both as Passover and Easter, and in this context, it's correctly translated as Easter. Wow, that's good. Well, listen, uh, we've had a lot of questions, a lot of comments. I even had a question from one party uh, saying that there was a attack upon the seed of Christ saying it was descendants, which was a promotion of Zionism. I hadn't heard that one, uh, but I'm sure there, I mean, there are many attacks on the doctrinal issues, not only regarding the virgin birth, um, on the resurrection, on particular redemption. There's so many, especially in the New International Version. Uh, But anyway, does anyone else have any final, I'm going to unmute Toronto's mic one more time. And so I've unmuted everyone's mics. Does anyone, Carl, John? Um, yes, Larry. Mike? Go ahead. Go ahead, uh, John. Uh, thanks. Thanks, 
Thanks, Larry. I'll, I'll take about a minute or so to uh, express three points which I think are important in uh, sewing this up. Um, we were talking about the language of the King James, which people think is archaic with the D's and the thou's, even though the D's are the singular you and the, and the, uh, and the your is your, the plural you. The language of the King James, in contrast to the letter of the translators, See, people try to confuse the issue by telling you that the King James is too old and it's Shakespearean, but the King James is not Shakespearean. Shakespeare you know, lived in the 1500s, whereas the King James comes from the High English, spoken until about the year 1300, uh, spoken until the year 1300, that High English of the King James, that's what the translators used, that type of English. And uh, at the same time, it's not Shakespearean because Shakespearean uh, was uh, about 200 years later, that type of English, which the translators uh, themselves uh, used now on, on their own commentary, not on the King James Bible. The second thing is the Revision Committee of 1881, which produced the revised version, also known as the English revised version. The, the common thought was that the King James was too archaic, it was too old and uh, it needed to be changed. So they came up with that committee in 1881 with Westcott and Hort and the um, and Strong's being the counterpart here in the U.S. There, were, there was a, an English committee and the U.S. committee simultaneously, and their aim was to change two things on the King James: to update the spelling to more modern spelling, and to change some of the uh, archaic words. But what happened is what you see today. You know, uh, adding you know uh, thousands of words. Uh, uh, taking out thousands of words, uh, substituting word order, you know, all, all, all kinds of abominations. And uh, at the same time, I'd like to make a comment about, about Gail Ripplinger because um, uh, indirectly, I think she was mentioned today in terms of the, um, the King James being its own uh, Bible dictionary. She had a good seminar on that, the King James being a good Bible dictionary. And she said that even at that time, I don't know when she did that uh, documentary, I couldn't find the uh, date, but it had to be sometime in the 90s based on her age now. Um, she said even at that time, there were over 450 New Age Bibles out there. So 450 New Age Bibles, that's quite a bit. And she mentioned that some of the big publishers are already starting to change some of the words, like not outright, but a word like between. Sometimes God for uh, po po uh, poetry's sake, or even rhyme uses um, betwixt, and between, and the words betwixt and between are basically the same word, but if you use betwixt uh, to give it like a certain rhyme or a certain sound so you can memorize it better, the publishers are starting to take out betwixt and you know a little bit and put between mostly instead of uh, having a combination of what was originally there, some between, some betwixt. Uh, so, in other, in other words, like, you know, the, the revision committee was supposed to uh, do a couple of little updates, but Westcott and Hort had such influence that uh, it, it got corrupted so much that uh, the King James still stands, you know, in the, in the traditional line of, of the uh, Tyndale, Geneva Bible, Coverdale Bible. Um, I think there's another main one in between there, but uh, so the, the King James 1611, uh, which is the, um, you know, the original one that we have from the King's publisher. I forget what the name was of the King's publisher at that time. And of course, the standard Bible that we use today for the King James Version is the 1769 Oxford one. And uh, there's nothing different from that Bible to the King James 1611. Uh, 
all they did was uh, modernize the spelling in the 1700s. Uh, they took out the uh, Gothic or German font and they made it into a Roman font. And, um, you know, any, any type of thing that you might consider an error between 1611 and 1769 uh, has to do with the publishers, not the translators themselves, because the publishers had a lot of printing press issues because it was hard to print back then. Everything had to be... Um, you know, placed backwards and stamped, you know, the other way so that they could be printed. So, of course, there's going to be some spelling mistakes uh, corrected from 1611, but that has nothing to do with the translators. The translators did a good translation. It's just that the printers had a lot of printing press issues. So, you have the Gothic font, which was changed to Roman. You have the spelling, which was updated to more modern spelling in the, um, in the uh, 1700s, but the words are the same. It's just that they're spelled uh, differently. You had a couple of things with commas and periods that the uh, the printers uh, themselves missed, not the translators. The only types of uh, things that you can consider. Gonna, I'm going to have to, gonna have to just one. Here. Yeah. Uh, we 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 kind of are going over here. You said you were going to go a minute. You've been going like three and a half. Okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll yield. Thank I, you. I do. Yeah, but I do want to just make one statement. Now, this is my own personal opinion. And I know there are other people on here that will disagree with this, but I'm going to go ahead and state it. I do not endorse Gail Ripplinger, okay? Uh, just because the substance, I believe that Scripture teaches that women are not to usurp authority over men or be teachers of men. And so I do not endorse her. I'm not saying she hasn't done some good research and so on, but Larry Phillips will not endorse Gail Ripplinger as a, as a teacher of the Word of God. And she is instructing and making statements about interpretation of words and everything else. Um, with that, I think we're going to bring this to a conclusion. I want to thank Brother Ed for coming on tonight. And I appreciate his uh, willingness to uh, go into depth uh, on his research on this area. And uh, we will be... Uh, on Wednesday night for our continued study uh, through the book, God Does Not Love Everyone, But He Does Love His Elect uh, From Everlasting to Everlasting. We have a special guest. We're just going to call him the Hammer. <laughs> for Thursday night, he was in law enforcement for uh, over 20 years, and, and under uh, he was doing surveillance and, and worked on a lot of large cases, was miraculously saved by Christ, and he... Uh, uh, his brother-in-law actually was a Jesuit priest, and it's just a wonderful testimony. So if you join us 6 o'clock Thursday, he'll be, he'll be on from 6 to 6.30. That's about all I have to say. Any final comments before we uh, conclude? I guess that's a, a negative. So, um, y'all, thank you for joining us. Good, good discussion tonight, and we'll be back with you next Monday night. God being in the okay. matter. God bless. God bless everyone. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.